join us later. Hi, I'm Aaron. <laughs> this is Paul. This is Wade. You know, I got to tell you, I've had so much trouble getting the uh, the opening out the last couple of times. I was actually this morning going, hello and welcome to Funny Books with Aaron, Polly, <laughs> Wayne, and Andrew. Hello and welcome to Funny Books with Aaron, Polly, Wayne, and Andrew. And then Andrew doesn't show up. Just to throw you off. Just to throw me off. He's, he's screwing with me, Paul. He's screwing with me. Were you like staring in the mirror like, welcome to Funny Books? Blah, 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 That's blah, exactly blah, what blah. I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, while also going peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and yeah. carrots. Syphilis, syphilis, syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys seen uh, Tartakovsky's Primal on HBO Max? I have not, but I have a great no. interest in it. I watched uh, the first two episodes this morning. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's very good. It, it, it is really good. You know, I loved Samurai Jack. And uh, this is this is scratching me right in the middle of that Samurai Jackness, even though it's got nothing to do with Samurai Jack. It's about, you know, a caveman who teams up with a Tyrannosaurus Rex and that, you know, they're 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 out fighting crime in uh, prehistoric times. It's fucking awesome. What kind of crime is there in prehistoric times? Well, I'm 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 being broad in my description, but, you know, shenanigans. Ah, (laughs) there's always crime in prehistoric time. That should be the tagline. (laughs) I just it is great. I was like, I don't know where this has been all my life, but man, I am here for this. It is so good. Yeah. The, the the art, you know, that was the thing that first caught me about Samurai Jack was the art direction on it. And and that's the same thing here. I mean, it is just so well put together and storyboarded. I, I, I love it. I can't. I'm going to burn through the rest of it this weekend. You know, I'm looking at the. um the show art on HBO Max while you're talking about it. And it, the show art has a very Frank Miller-esque style uh-huh. to it. Yeah. And, you know, kind of put me in the mindset. And it's not on the outline. I'm going And Klaus Janssen colors, too. I mean, it, the, yeah. the whole thing is, is you know, very much in that Batman year one sort of niche, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, you know, Frank Miller presents, um, you know, the new comic book company from Frank Miller and Dan DiDio released an ash can this week. A one dollar ash can. Not not available digitally. Not available digitally. And I, you know, so I, I actually posted on this is they're, they're, this is funny. Um, I posted on their Instagram. You know, I'm like, hey, you know, any plans to release this or you know any of your future books digitally? And they're like, no plans for digital at this time. And Wayne chimes in and goes, well, then no plans for me to buy your books at this time either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh no. I wondered if you saw that. Um, So I I have a great deal of interest in this um, in this imprint. You know, the they have they're they're doing a sequel to Ronin. I love. You know, they're taking over Miller stuff. They're they're taking over Sin City because it's creator owned. Ronin Book Two is coming out. I I I don't know if you were a big fan of Ronin Paul, but man, that that book was was so impactful for me at the time. Yeah. You know, just, just how, how it was so different from anything else that was out there, uh, you know, back in the eighties, it was so good. Yeah. I, I, so I really have an interest, but if, if they're, and they're doing um, a prequel to Sin City called 1858, if, if this, if they are a print only company, then I find that I will likely end up just waiting for the trade, which I know, you know, is not, a successful model yeah. for, for comic companies. They rely on those monthly sales to make well, it, it the trade. Here's the thing. If you're not digital, I'm probably not going to pick you up. 
I, I'm just not. I, 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 yeah. the only thing I'm committing shelf space to are high end hardbacks right now. Um, I, I don't yeah. see me picking up a trade. I don't see me taking a chance on a trade, uh, to then commit shelf space to it. Sam, I don't even buy regular trades anymore. It's only, it's yeah. gotta be something really special. Yeah. The bottom line is I don't want physical media. So if you're not reduce, releasing your stuff digitally, then you're not releasing a product that I want. Yeah. Generally, and I, I'm much the same way, but I mm-hmm. find that for this, like Ronin Book 2 or the next Sin City book, if they are, if that is my only option to read them, then I will probably pick up the trade. But I, I, yeah. I'm not going to go to the – like I, I, was, I almost was tempted to go to a comic shop. <laughs> and, but I'm like, am I really going to roll into a comic shop, buy a $1 ash can, like – and, and, and then roll back. I'm like, nah, I'm just going to wait. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let it go. You know, I love those hardback, uh, hardback collections of like the Prince Valiant Sunday comics and of the Superman oh, yeah. uh, comics and those kind of things. You know, the comic strips that that, you know, like IDW and whoever will will put out in a, in a great big hardbound collection. But, you know, the problem with those things and I'm going to bring this back to the point, I promise. Uh, the problem with those things is that they're so fucking big, right? You know, because yeah. they, they do them in kind of like, you know, artist editions. I got a subscription this week to Comics Kingdom, um, which is the uh, which is a you know comic syndication that has, you know, like Prince Valiant, the Spider-Man comics, Flash Gordon, um you know, all kinds of other, you know, comic strips, and you can go back and read their entire digital archive. And I, I keep wishing that they would release a lot of that stuff on Comixology because that's the, the format that I would prefer to have it in. But at least this way, I'm not having to take up the shelf space when I just want to read it. I'm not necessarily wanting to collect it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about, you know, what Frank Miller presents is doing. I, I think it's, I think it's a, sh- a crying shame that they are excluding part of the marketplace. Now, I get it. They're trying to d- get the loyalty of the brick-and-mortar comic shops. Um, and I-, I could see if they were releasing, you know, earlier, you know, kind of like, you know, first first, uh, first release and then, you know, syndication yeah. later, you know. But the no plans at all for digital at this time, you know, I – you're not going to be in my pool pile then, you know, you're not going to be, you're not going to be in my read stack. Well, yep. especially nope. because Dan DiDio, like that dude was yeah. at the forefront of digital. Pioneered. So, yeah. yeah. Pioneered digital. Yeah. Yeah. No plans for digital. No plans to buy your product. Yeah. So disappointing, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that being said, we, 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 we had a conversation um, this week and it's like, is 2022 Frank Miller really worth, worth the effort? Yeah. Um, and the answer is definitely no, but I I do have an interest in in some of the continuing stuff like the sure. Ronin and the Sin City. Ronin too. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely there for Ronin too. I've never honestly been that big of a Frank Miller fan. I've liked some of his things, and it's more the when he's doing the writing. Yeah. Like yeah. His, his art I like. It's his writing that is far more hit or miss for me. Yeah, his earlier art I like. Yeah, things, I would say. Things in the yeah. last 15, 20 years I'm not a fan of. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, he's got a he's got a unique voice. I enjoy his writing for the most part. I'm, I'm 
sorry that I'm not going to be able to read what he's working on right now. Yeah. You know, um, this week I, I, I finally got Jen to commit to not caring about Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, well, you know, she it's a, have to watch it with you. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't have to wait to watch it because you know it's one of those shows we we watched the first episode and I mean you all know this you guys are married and it's like once you get into a show like you if you watch it separate yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, <laughs> um, and so only a divorce. problem if you watch it separate. And she finds out. Yeah, but they, 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 they <laughs> unless you, you got to set up like a separate uh, viewing, um, you know, profile, because otherwise it'll show that you watched it. And so, so Moon Knight, we had only seen the first episode. And this week she was like, you can, you can continue on because we were kind of going through all the shows that we have on our watch list, like Cobra Kai before the new season starts. And, and I don't know, there was something else, but. She's like, you can watch Moon Knight without me. I'm like, okay, I'm going in. And so I I watched through episode four yesterday. So I guess that's I have two more to go. I watched through the one that ends with the hippo thing popping up at the end. Mm-hmm. And you know, because you guys had talked about it while it was being released, and you know, kind of your your viewpoints on it. And you know, I had seen that um, Oscar Isaac was spotted in Cairo kind of confirming that a Moon Knight season two is coming. So I'm like, okay, let me watch this shit. It It is so mediocre. Okay. I guess. I was, I, I was afraid <laughs> with where we were going here. Okay. I'm, here. I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the same page with you. It is, it is so like, it is so much, so much potential because I actually find Oscar Isaac very good in it. Like he, he's a great actor in a role that is not, that is a thankless role, essentially, because it's I, I don't love the story that it's telling at all. And this is as someone who's a you know been a Moon Knight fan for a long time. You know, this kind of like we're fighting over the same body experience, uh, you know, and it's it's played more for laughs than anything else. I'm just it, it's surprising to me how like like the fight sequence, fight choreography, you know, I watched a lot of, you know, the stuff, the videos that they showed, Oscar Isaac training. I'm like, oh, yeah, Moon Knight's going to be badass fighting. You know, Oscar Isaac's been training. And then you watch the fight sequences and it's like, eh, it doesn't really, yeah, the directing's not great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Daredevil would totally kick his ass. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It, it, But honestly, the, the same is true of pretty much all the fight sequences on these Marvel um, Disney Plus shows. They they don't have the fight choreography that Punisher and Daredevil did on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Well, the other difference on this one is uh, the best fights are the ones we never saw because he's yeah off camera switches personality personalities and they all feel very CG to me because I'm sure the cape is CG and you know the glowing eyes. So even the fight choreography and fight sequences feel like I'm watching a cartoon. Um. So I'm going to finish it off, right? Uh, but because it's not like I hate it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just not very good. Yeah, It's just OK. And for a show that, you know, about Moon Knight with so much potential um, to step outside of what Marvel normally produces. And I will say it's very different than your normal Marvel show. It's not connected to the MCU, you know, at least at this point in any way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, it, it it had so much potential and it's. It's really kind of squandering it. So I'm, I'm that, anyway, that, that that was my thoughts on just getting caught up and, you know, on Moon Knight as well as I, I got a chance to watch the first episode of She-Hulk. I think we yeah, all I was, 
I was about to say, speaking of CGI, what did you think of the first episode of She-Hulk? And speaking and speaking of mediocre. Yeah, speaking of, of mediocre <laughs> and CGI, and yeah, yeah, I um, I think She-Hulk had some really fun moments. I feel like they were, but as a whole, I was like, it, it felt, it, it felt like a series of disconnected random moments to me, um, like hey, there's this random ship that pops up in the middle of the road that causes them to crash. And I'm like, that's never revisited. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, I guess it's Giganta is the um, the villain who pops up at the end in the courtroom. That doesn't wildly nondescript. Yeah, like, yeah, totally random. Yeah. yeah, totally random. I'm like, this show feels super random to me. Well, honestly, I don't have a problem with super random. For me, I'm reserving judgment because... I, w- I remember the last Marvel show was Ms. Marvel. And I absolutely loved the show after the first episode. And then the mi- whole middle of the show was nothing like that first episode. Well, in this case, the first episode of She-Hulk is the origin story. So I don't think that this first episode is going to be anything like the rest of the show. So I'm going to reserve judgment for an episode or two. But... The CGI was really bad in a lot of places. Uh-huh. It was. Well, there, any time Hulk and She-Hulk were on the screen together, um, I felt like I was watching a video game. Yeah, like Shrek. I was watching Shrek. Yeah, yeah. and I was just like, ugh, just, yeah. just painful. I love Mark Ruffalo, uh, uh-huh. but I think they probably spent most of their budget on this episode. Uh-huh. Getting him and the horrible CGI of both of them in uh-huh. there. Yeah. Uh, honestly... I like the disjointed, like, crazy chaos nature of the first episode. I love that she does break the fourth wall. I like that they are pushing that it's going to be a courtroom drama where she just happens to turn into a Hulk. But, again, I can't judge it off of the first badly CGI'd episode. I got to yeah. say, I, I don't like breaking the fourth wall, and I understand that's from the comic book, so I'll forgive it that, but I don't enjoy it. I also don't think they did it very well. Like, Deadpool is marvelous at it. Um, I, I I really don't feel like this show, in the first episode, has figured out what it is yet. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I didn't laugh once. And the, most of this thing was shot for comedy. And I did not there. I didn't have a smile on my face or a laugh that happened at any point during my my watching of this. There were things that I liked about the show. Um, I, I I'm liking the the actor that's playing uh, 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 Jennifer Walters a lot more than I thought I would. Um, and I, I like some of her energy. I particularly like how she explains that the 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 reason why I can control my rage is I have to control my rage every day you know because otherwise I'm I'm considered you know um, an emotional woman um I, I thought that was a that was, a, was some really great writing and I liked how she delivered that line um I did enjoy the cousin byplay between uh Bruce and Jen what I did not care for and, you know, on the one hand, I was, hey, great, we're getting right into the origin story. We're not going to have to wait till episode three to figure out how she became the She-Hulk. But the fact that some of his blood spills on her and she immediately turns into the She-Hulk, 
just I was like, okay, yeah, this is what we're doing now. Okay, yeah, we're fast forwarding. Okay, well, yeah, we're done. So okay, I had issue with that at first until they kind of got to the full explanation of it. It wasn't just his blood. The thing that he had on him was storing up gamma radiation, and it released this burst of fatal radiation. It was a combination of his blood, that thing bursting radiation, and her genetics all no, aligning I, to Turner. Because I had I that guess, same – when they first did it with the blood, I'm like, that's ridiculous. That's not enough. It's, if it were a transfusion, it's one thing. But this is just stupid. No, no, I get that. But it was the fact that she – that when all of that happened, she immediately turned. You know, when Bruce Banner is, is exploded by the gamma bomb – he doesn't immediately turn into the Hulk, right? I mean, it just it just seemed like there should have been a break in that. I understand that they were just trying to get into the story. It just didn't work for me. The pacing on this episode was off to me. Yeah, and, and I, that's, I, that was my you know the pacing on it. Not that being you know I will I I did not judge it as harshly as you did, Aaron. I I actually found quite a bit of the episode funny, especially. Yeah. The mid-credit sequence. I thought that, I, like, I I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, um, the after-credit scene. I laughed out loud. I I loved that. I was I thought it was hilarious. The show itself. I I laughed multiple times. I thought it was funny. But I feel like the show, at its core concept, because you know I've seen, um, I've seen uh like interviews where they're like, yeah, we, you know, we ended up having to film more of Jessica Walters, you know, to save budget, you know, and, you know, and, and intersperse She-Hulk a little more sparingly than originally intended. And I'm like, why did you plan to do this show at all? <laughs> you know, if, you know, your core, you know, your core character is a CG generated character. Maybe, you know, maybe that's this is not the show that you go down the path of doing, um, because even the CG that we 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 saw to to your point, Aaron, it felt it felt very, very much like I was watching a cartoon when the, yeah. when the characters were interacting. And I'm like, I just it, it it's not that um, I like Mark, Mark Ruffalo as Hulk. I feel like perhaps they've aged him up a bit too much or maybe mm-hmm. they've just given him an appropriate Mark Ruffalo age. Because now we're kind of dealing with like, I don't know, like middle-aged kind of curmudgeon-y Hulk. Right. You know, he's kind of like her. He's kind of like a dad. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I can take Hulk seriously, especially after this episode. Hey, hey you, you you pegged it. You know, uh, Mark Ruffalo is definitely Dad Hulk. Yeah, Dad Hulk. <laughs> um, yeah. He really is Dad Hulk. I, I, you know, I was thinking about it this this morning when I was watching it that. Uh, you know, when I think about, uh, you know, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk versus suddenly drawing a blank on his name. Uh, Eric Banner? Uh, no, the Ed other Norton? guy. Ed Norton. Thank Edward you. Norton. Um, you know, Mark Ruffalo is much more scientist vibe to me. Um, I, th- yeah. I think he, he makes a better Bruce Banner, even though I very much enjoyed Ed Norton's portrayal. Um, I thought he I thought he was a much better Banner than Eric Banner. Uh, but. I think Mark Ruffalo does this well where I I am having trouble with the Hulk character as portrayed in this episode is how stuck he is in, you know, all the all 
all of the friends he lost. I mean, he spent a lot of time mourning Tony Stark in this episode, you know? Uh, And, you know, it's, it's been a while, you know? I mean, I think you can fondly remember your friend, but it sure does feel like the Hulk is still grieving. Well, I also find it very interesting, the whole Captain America conversation, because they're referring to Captain America as as he's passed away. And perhaps, you know, they're doing that for, to keep Steve Rogers safe or something, but Uh Like, yeah, he knows I, that I think, Steve Rogers went back in time, or does got he? married. I mean, but he, he might not there. know that. He might was not it? know that. He no, wasn't he was, in that scene. Right. Oh, the only people who were right. there in that scene were, were Falcon and the Snowman. Uh, <laughs> the Snowman. <laughs> uh, but, I uh, could see it be, like, I assumed it would be classified information. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that that, that Bruce knows. Yeah, we only know that, it's, the only thing, thing confirmed is that two people know. Um that Steve Rogers is still in the land of the living. Yeah, so. an, I hadn't really thought about that until now. I just assumed it was classified and he wasn't sharing the information because yeah. the whole time I was thinking about that, but yeah, no, I think like I said, I think they spent their entire budget on this one episode to get both of them together to do their fights for a moment during the fight. I thought he was going to revert to a different Hulk. I was a little uncomfortable in the fight. Yeah. I, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, OK, they're cousins, but it's also a great big man uh, fighting a woman. And, you know, yeah, she's she Hulk, but she, he's still much bigger than her and punching uh, and kicking. Yeah. And, smashing. and I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. I, because I, you've established this. I mean, I don't, it felt out of place. Yeah. I, I was like, he's really kind of like punching her. <laughs> yeah. I was uncomfortable with that. There would have been one thing if it was just wrestling. You know, like cousins do. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Paul, I know you're out there with, with your girl cousins all the time wrestling. Wrestling. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah as you wrestling. do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I I, I, I I was fine with the, you know, the clap, you know, where he, you know, slaps his hands together and Sonic booms her, you know, across the field. But. You know, when they start throwing punches and literally he's like, you know, whopping her in the head, I was really uncomfortable with that. Well, you have a different relationship with your cousins than, <laughs> than the Hulk does. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't, like I said, they've spent the whole budget here. I know there's more CGI coming besides her because Abomination is in the show. And oh, that's true. So they're yeah, going to be doing CGI. Special guest too. star Mark Ruffalo. And, you know, once it said that, I thought about it and I'm like, I do kind of feel like. All the scenes I saw with Mark Ruffalo in the trailer were in this first episode. We're in this episode. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. No, I don't expect to see him again on the show. Maybe show up up as a cameo in like the finale on a phone call or exactly to congratulate her. But I don't think we're going to see him again. Yeah, Yeah. it was okay. I, I, I will give it a second episode. Yeah, like I said, I'm reserving all judgment for it because. Ms. Marvel showed me that they can have the first episode have be completely different in tone and story and everything from the rest of a series. And so I, whether, I will also, whether I like or dislike it, it's an origin episode. So along those lines, I will also forgive some of the randomness in the storytelling because we don't know that we're not going to get follow ups in future episodes to explain all that stuff that, that just like, well, that was random. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, you know, we can yeah, get the spaceship like explained. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah. I do appreciate that the origin story did not take the original origin of She-Hulk, where you know, which Stan Lee wrote, uh, where where Bruce Banner gives his cousin a blood transfusion after she's shot up by gangsters. You know, so I, I, I appreciate that. I just, you know, felt like it was a little rushed. But yeah. anyway. Well, OK. Have we gotten all of that out of our system now? I feel like <laughs> have we, we have. That, that was a much have, longer conversation than I originally anticipated. Honestly, have we purged <laughs> the gamma from our bloodstreams? No, I have. I have a normal amount of rage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a normal amount of rage. <laughs> so um, in the comics world. In, in the Marvel comics world, uh, Doctor Strange is dead, or is he? And, I, and I, I want to say, because I want to make a correction, and, this, and, and, and Moon Knight was in this issue too, I want to make a correction to something I said previously, which is that I Doctor Strange issue 5 is apparently not, or excuse me, Strange issue 5 is apparently not the last issue of the series, as I had previously stated, because I saw that it was like book one of five in the first issue, I'm assuming that was referring to the storyline at this mm. point, not the series, because I just I checked the solicitations and there is at least seven issues, um, you know, as far as the solicitations go. So I, either, I think there's clearly more coming. Either that or they intended it to be a a five issue, but it sold well. Yeah. Maybe they listened to us and our appreciation of the series. That's right. I love I love this series. And I loved this issue. Um, I, you know, I loved her palling around with Moon Knight through the book. Uh, I, I, I liked the dialogue between the two of them. And, you know, midway through the book, I'm like, oh, crap. I've figured this out. And sure uh-huh. enough, we got the big, you know, I, I, I don't know if we want to spoil, but there's yeah, a big reveal at the end of the book. There's a, a, a big reveal at the end of the book that the masked fella who is the sorcerer supreme for death is actually Dr. Stephen Strange mm-hmm. with a white beard. Yeah, Aaron, because I did not I did not figure it out. Well, I did like just a couple of pages before it happened. I was like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I like it when that happens. I like it when you know the pieces are there, you know, for the observant reader to figure out. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a well done reveal, and yeah. um, it, it was it's a great status quo for this series. Yeah, yeah, it makes me want to go back and reread the the other issues, at least her interactions with the Harvest Man. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. I want to I want to relook at all of those and see where there are other clues in the conversations that I didn't pick up on. Right. Yeah. No, if, you, if sure. you were not picking up Strange, if at this point. You're, you are at a loss. It is just because it's not Stephen Strange. Um, yeah. it, I, we can't rec- I can't recommend this book enough. It is I, just a great, well-written book. I agree. I, I think that, um, you know, Marvel, Marvel is very keen on turning their properties on their heads. You know, we saw that with Jane Foster Thor, right? Yeah. Um, we saw that with Red Hulk. Um I think this is that they have done an exquisite turn here, not just making Clea the Sorcerer Supreme, but also making Stephen Strange as the Sorcerer Supreme for death. Her nemesis. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I just I really think that this is 
very well done. I love the storytelling in this book, and I cannot recommend it more. I it just it is so much fun. And the fact that that Wong and the ghost Basset Hound are on the cover for the next issue has me, uh, you know, just wiggling with with glee. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Wong in this book, you know, and we didn't get any Wong. I mean, and I, and I love how, you know, Uma, uh, 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 Clea's mom, it mm-hmm. continues to bitch about Wong's cooking. Yeah. Uh, that just <laughs> that's that, that, that funny. She's like. You know, Wong's cooking was as pedestrian as always. And yeah. Clea goes, you, you, you have never dined here before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. But I love it. One of the things I'm looking forward to um, on the next issue is Lee Garbett is coming back on art. Because uh, if there's one thing that I – the art in this book has been fine. But Lee Garbett was the artist on the death of Doctor Strange. Um miniseries and i just like his art a lot better so i'm looking forward to him uh you know doing the art for next issue yeah bats the dog god i love bats <laughs> i do i do i love bats he's great well so. you know, speaking of artists you know, mitch jarrett's you know who has been kind of this superstar artist for dc comics teamed up with tom king on mr miracle strange adventures and now uh batman one bad day Brings them back together. Tom King, Mitch Jarrods. This was the big new release this week. The start of this one bad day monthly uh, series of prestige format books. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we had talked a little bit about it last time. I think this is basically DC trying to do the killing joke um, treatment for all of Batman's villains, just one at a time. Because uh, they've got these amazing creative teams. And I'm, I'm very, very curious to hear what people thought of this book. So you started with the art, and I will say the art for this book is perfect for this story. Yeah. it. This is a serious story, a very different story, and the art really adds to the gravitas of the story that's being told. Uh, I thought it was... With a lesser artist, I don't know that the story would have had the same level of impact that it did. I I loved the book. I think it was intense. It is a... As long as it's out of continuity, I think it's a great story. I would not want to see them do this with the Riddler in continuity. I don't know. You know it, it, I don't know that it can be, right? It's one of the... It's, and I think they they are it's left intentionally vague at the ending, much the same way that Killing Joke was. Well, and I was going to say, I, I loved this book up until the ending because I loved the ending in its original form in The Killing Joke. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. One of the things that bumped me on this book and I just thought it was wildly out of place was when Riddler says that you know when he reveals that he gave the joker all of that information about where to find uh barbara yeah uh, to shoot her right and you know to do all those horrible things to, to barbara um and he, he reveals that and he says yeah joker wanted to have his one bad day and i'm like you know it's like turn to camera <laughs> yeah and I'm like, okay, that's that 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 bumped me out of the book because you know you're absolutely right, Wayne. The uh, Mitch Jared's art on this book is pitch perfect. 
it really sets the tone, the mood. You really get a sense of how scary the Riddler is and how terrified the people are around him and how all of that's changed. Um, I, I, I very much sells the narrative. Yeah, but my got... issue with that scene was more Riddler gives a speech about how, you know, Joker, he's not a planner. It's like, have you ever read a Joker story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joker 100% is a planner and a schemer, despite being insane. Well, and you don't know what what's true there and what's not, right? And I right. think that's he's an unreliable narrator. Exactly. And you know, th- this book very much sets up how terrifying the Riddler is and how much he truly knows and is now, you know, now that he has he, he's had this break, right? He, Riddler has always been kind of a joke, but he's you know he's all along. He's had this ability, but now that he has confronted his mother, he's met his mother, he's confronted his mother, he's had this this kind of psychic break, or I mean, he's already psycho, but it has changed for him, and he's brought things up to another level to the point that he's you know, he, he's now just super terrifying in what he has on everyone. People are unwilling to to confront him. He has basically taken control of Gotham City by the end of this book because. Like no one, everyone's afraid to confront him because of what he is willing to do. He knows who all the Robins are. He knows, you know, who Batman is. He he knows everything about you know people that that like the police. He's like, hey man, right. like I know what your kid is, and if yeah. you don't shoot this other cop, I'm I'm gonna kill your kid. And that that scene in the in Arkham. Arkham. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the parking garage with the the, you know, SWAT, the, the you know, the the cop tactical team and Gordon. That was a gnarly scene. You know, I, I was just like, damn. And, and I really liked how they were building the character. But then it gets into him pulling the same manipulation with Batman and Batman lets it go. You know, that he lets him walk off the field, literally, mm-hmm. to, you know, go off and do his thing. And I'm like, you know what? I, I I agree with the decision Batman makes at the end of the book. But uh, Batman should have gotten there sooner because every life at that point that Riddler takes is on Batman. Yeah. And Batman yeah. should have been able to do that math there. He should have rec- recognized I either have to take him down. And, you know, make sure that he can never escape again or I have to kill him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which so is the I, had, I had that issue with it. And I had the same issue with the crime families have all said, leave him alone. No, right. he threatens the crime families. They're going to say kill him. And that's the well, yeah, all you that, literally have to do is get an assassin, get Deathstroke. Right. Someone hires mm-hmm. Deathstroke to put a bullet in the Riddler's head. You're done. Yeah. Like, you know, but I, I will say for me. I loved the book. I, I thought this book was great. I feel like that with the scene, literally the scene we're talking about where he confronts Batman and they're like the crime families on it. You know, no one's willing to confront the Riddler. I feel like that was all rushed in the final three pages of the book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hold on. Like, I feel like we need to live in that moment mm-hmm. for at least another, you know, 10 to 20 pages to truly understand that Riddler has become untouchable and and that people are afraid of him because it it feels like that is such a big big thing 
And it's only really the conclusion of the book. Well, and the scariness of Riddler in this book is all contingent on the fact that he's able to survive whatever encounter to go and enact that revenge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at no point does Riddler establish that there's a contingency if he dies. And so to your point, it seems a sniper takes care of this pretty easy. We see we see Riddler standing in the window of his hotel room. I'm thinking, you know, any number of DC comic snipers could take care of this problem for everybody. Yeah. Honestly, even, even a bruiser could take care of him. Yeah. Because yeah. he's not a fighter. Yeah. So, yeah. It's really, I, you know, the, 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 the logic, you know, stretch aside, I still thought it was a great book. I'm, I'm still looking forward to the rest of the series. Well, uh, but is every one bad day story going to end with Batman at, at the end of the book standing in front of him and then fade to black like he's killed the guy? No, I mean, I that's know. what because I'm like, if that's if that's the going to be the answer. And I think it was a mistake to end the book this way. Yeah. Uh, I'm if not it were a, a standalone story, if it were not going to have more stories of other villains, I wouldn't have had a problem with it as an homage back to the original. But knowing this is a series of stories like this, mm-hmm. I didn't like that either. I mean, because of if assuming that this is the same Batman who kills Joker at the end of the killing joke. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, why wouldn't he have killed Riddler earlier in the story? Yeah. I, mean, I, admit, I mean, if he's already got blood on his hands, it seems to me that he does that earlier in the story that there's. I think there is reading the book and just go and, and experiencing the book and go, man, that was a really good book. And then when you start applying logic to it, the book falls apart, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the context of the other. And the only reason I'm calling that that other book into play is, you know, Joker wanted to have his one bad day. Yeah. And I'm just I'm like, OK, um, I feel like we're in continuity here with that story, at least. Yeah. Seems like seems like perhaps Batman, you know, maybe he he was busy that day and just decided that he wouldn't kill Riddler at that time. And, you know, he didn't know these other people Riddler was going to kill. So that would be fine. He only cares if you're going to kill a Robin or a Batgirl. (laughs) You know, and so I'm going to pick up. Obviously, I'm going to pick up Two-Face, you know, the next one. and, And we'll see. We'll see to your point, Aaron, if it's a trend that this is if the concept of one bad day is that this is. These are tales of when the villains set Batman over the edge, you know, mm-hmm. out of continuity tales that end with Batman basically killing the villain, um, much in the same way Killing Joke was. So we'll see um, if if the next one has the same ending. We'll see if I stick with it. But the damn, <laughs> the damn creative teams are so good on these oh, books. Well, and you, I mean, I loved the writing uh, for the most part. Uh, in this book. I mean, I thought Tom King did a brilliant job writing this book. I just questioned some of the choices the characters made. Uh, and I mean, I loved the the new origin for the Riddler. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really I really appreciated that. And when he is assaulting his professor, murdering his professor out on the basketball court, I'm like, yeah, that was going to happen. You, you kind of saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that guy. Yeah. But like I said, the one I'm most looking forward to is the last one with Rachel yeah. Ghoul. Like I just that Clayface is an odd selection for here, but yeah, I mean it, it was. I feel like we're we're 
I feel like I'm all of a sudden like harshing on the book, but I truly did like it. Yeah, um, yeah. And, I, I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the others are like. Well, and I'm I'm there for Mitch Jarrods. I mean, his yeah. uh, his artwork is just just stunning. Yeah. The strength of the book is how it makes you feel while you're reading it. And that's a combination of both the writing and the art. The weakness of the book is when you think about it after you're done reading it yeah. and after the emotion has left you and you're looking at it critically. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Wayne. God, boy, that hurt to say. Yeah. Well, which honestly is one of the things I like about Tom Taylor as a writer. I'm, you know, we're going into talking about Nightwing here. Um, Tom Taylor books are so well thought out. You know, he's not writing anything like Tom King levels of darkness. Um, like I shouldn't say that because he also because he did he he did write um, Deceased and uh, Injustice. But, you know, I, I I think that Tom Taylor books, one of the things we, we appreciate so much about them is that they do hold up on further introspection. Yeah. And um, and he, he he just really comes up with imaginative ways of, of telling stories of characters that have been around for for as long as they have. And I feel like this Nightwing issue, what is it, 95, is really indicative of that. And I love that he's brought in Maggie Sawyer. And um, who's the other guy? Dan uh, Turpin. Dan yeah. Turpin. Yeah. yeah, into into the book. And just it, it's cool seeing those characters come in and. And, you know, the, the reference to Batwoman in the book, yeah. it's just it's such a well done book. I, I will in this in this where I'm going with kind of the, the way it all connects is I love how he, he brought all those characters in to to, to do the, the takedown of all blockbusters, yeah. um, you know, various efforts in one night. And it's just it's so well done. And it's I, it, I it love... just makes sense. You know, to your point of you know bringing in Maggie and and Batwoman, not only did we bring those characters in, but we brought in their backstory. And I love that you know Maggie and Batwoman are kind of you know uh, sniping at each other a little bit, and you know Nightwing interjects between the two of them. Hey, I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> but this city has been run by corrupt, violent men who think their money and power puts them above the law, above consequences. You know, and he's like, let's get to work. But I love the and there's this great panel where he's doing that. You know, I don't know what this is. I just I, I loved it. I loved it. And I love, you know, bringing in the extended bat family and the Titans to do all this stuff. Even Batman. I mean, I, you know, you've even got the big gun yeah. there. And it's just, just like as a cameo, he doesn't say a yeah. single word in this yeah. book. It's he's just one of a group. But it's this cool. g- great orchestrated takedown of all these multi operations that are all occurring simultaneous across uh, across Bloodhaven. And the thing that I that that I was I was like, you know, I'm reading the book and I'm like, it seems like they would have you know Jonathan Superman. Uh, you know, hovering up in up in the atmosphere, X-ray visioning or a telescopic visioning uh, uh, blockbuster because, yeah. you know, they don't have eyes on him. Yeah. And, and that course, was the other thing that bothered me is Haven has already been a target. Right. I expected somebody to be guarding it when he fires a rocket at Haven. I was expecting the rocket to be stopped. Yeah. Haven yeah. is yeah, just a shit show. I'm just saying, yeah. like, I don't know why. I mean, Haven, since its inception, uh-huh. has been a shit show. Yeah. 
Well, I just but don't Jonathan's understand. over in uh, Gamora or whatever. It just maybe. seems to me that that was a big gap that somebody should have should have brought up earlier. It's like, hey, we really need to have eyes on Blockbuster during all of this because you know he's going to flip his lid. And which is exactly what he did. And, you know, he took it out on the pressure point that that he could squeeze, which leads to the ending of the book, which, you know, wow. Uh, Spoilers on, you know, he he Blockbuster is standing in 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 a burning building with two of Haven's young citizens uh, with his gigantic hands on their heads. And when Nightwing comes running in, you know, he's like, you know, drop the sticks, lay on the floor, or I'll crush these little shit's heads. And, you know, Nightwing knows that he'll do it. He'll just do it for shits and giggles. And so he surrenders, the kids run off, and then, you know, Blockbuster just waylays Nightwing and, of course, knocks his mask off, revealing him as Dick Grayson. And, you know, I it was a big moment in the book. Uh, I am I I struggle with how many people know who Dick Grayson is in real life. Um, I uh, I wonder how they put this genie back in the bottle or how they address it. So that that's that's why I'm yeah. excited about that. Yeah, I think I really for this story, it. it adds some real impact because when you look at it, he doesn't he doesn't act shocked or surprised. He's. He just it makes him more angry. Yeah. Well, and it it just there's that moment where he, you know, does his big gorilla smash down on Nightwing. And it feels very much like Bane breaking Batman's back. You know, I mean, it's it. I felt like he hit him with such force that, you know, Nightwing has to be broken. Right. Well, and And, even right before that, there's a cracking sound when he steps on his back. That yeah. at very least was a rib cracking. Yeah. 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 I, it, my only problem with that with the revel, with that reveal is, you know, to your point about putting the genie back in the bottle, there's whenever this stuff happens, there's really only two ways of resolving it, right? right. So it's like it, for me, it, re, it removes a bit of the tension because it's like, okay, well, I guess Blockbuster's either gonna die or he's gonna have to go into some stu- you know, some, you know, Superman esque prison mm-hmm. uh, you know never to be seen again well, i mean there's a uh, third option paul it's possible that his identity could go out and then dick would would meet with dr fate and try to convince him to cast some sort of spell to make everybody forget nightwing one more day exactly Correct. well no nightwing first has to make a deal with the devil before going to dr fate that's true that would dr. work dr strange fate it, well, he, could, he could make a deal with uh, etrigan the demon I love it. Oh, so much. To, it would have to rhyme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, hey guys, it's Andrew. What? Who? I've been here the whole time. What are you talking about? You've <laughs> been here the whole time. <laughs> I feel like our our listeners are smarter than that, Andrew. They know. <laughs> well, I was sitting from my computer the whole time, but uh, due to technical difficulties, I uh, showed up while you guys were talking about one bad day. Well, you don't use that anyway. You got here just in time to talk about Last Shadowhawk. Yeah, I uh, I was a little confused by Last Shadowhawk. How about you guys? <laughs> I hated this book so yeah, much. Yeah, <laughs> I say I was a lot, I was a lot full of hate for the book after I read it. Well, well you know, Shadowhawk, Shadowhawk, classic character, Shadow. Jim Valentino, right? Young Blood, number two, uh, was his first appearance, and yeah. uh, it was what Paul Johnstone, I, Johnston was his uh, was the the alter ego's name. But yeah, I something like that. Uh, 
I thought he died in a hospital from uh, from he AIDS. He did. He died from yeah. He did die. Uh, so I yeah. don't know that this is the same character. There I was mean, another Shadowhawk after he died. Yeah. But the references in this one seem to point to it being the original one. Per, yes. With the backbreaking thing. In, yeah. in the fact that he's African American, and the fact that he talks about how how what he used to do on the streets, it made me very much think it's supposed to uh, be Paul. Fair point. Yeah, I mean, my favorite you know issues of uh, Shadowhawk, one of the best ones was the crossover with Savage Dragon. Yeah. yeah. Where Savage Dragon makes him explain why he breaks backs instead of kills people. You know, and in reading the intro to this book, you know, because it, it it gives an explanation of. Shadowhawk being the avatar of um, justice. Know, justice. Yeah, they're, they're trying to make Shadowhawk into Moon Knight. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, it, it's funny because in retrospect, I guess that's one of the things that drew me to the character. Because I, I loved Shadowhawk. I loved that book. And I'm, I was always a big fan of Jim Valentino's art. Um, you know, he, he wasn't as flashy as the other image creators. But, you know, he, he certainly had a, a, an art style that I appreciated in the in the mid 90s early 90s when when these books all came out and so i i, I really dug shadowhawk as a book but you know this book jim valentino as mentioned in the opening credits was just old and in the way he he didn't he didn't do anything in this book so much other than create the character but it's yeah. really all done by philip tan yep and um i will tell you guys image sent us a preview copy of this book and it's a pdf format um i felt it it was unreadable so i bought it anyway because this book is a hundred percent two-page spreads yeah yeah so i was like okay i I can't read the pdfs because the pdfs are basically splitting each one of these pages in half um so i bought it and i i I also bought it for this (laughs) and you also regretted it i did not buy it (laughs) yeah i mean some of my big issues with it i mean if you're going to have a villain kill him, make it a villain that has some impact. This is just the son of somebody that he crippled. And we don't get this person's story at all other than their father was crippled. You know, there we don't to this book. And, I, I, no. I, you know, you have this one because I'm looking at them and they it, they explicitly say it's a one shot. I'm like, oh, they OK, do? it's a one yeah. shot. Yeah, they said they hope oh. for more, but it's a one shot. Oh. And I'm like. I don't understand this book. <laughs> like, yeah. it, I had it's a theory, literally just about Moon Knight uh, getting his ass kicked in, and flashing over his life before dying, and then it's over. Yeah, and because and of it being channel. so many two-page splashes, it is short. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a theory that this was essentially kind of introducing people to Shadowhawk who didn't know Shadowhawk, and then we would see the new Shadowhawk rise in the next issue, right, and probably take vengeance upon rake um but if this is a intent but yeah if this is a one shot though yeah there's nothing (laughs) in this book that made me want another one like if i had never Um, heard of shadow hawk i can't imagine reading this book and be like i need to read more i'd be like what is yeah no what's what's going on here if they okay this was a old and tired you know hero that's already beaten down and ready to give up just like his creator and, yeah. and there are Egyptians, Egyptian gods involved. Uh, but even the Egyptian, like you didn't get any good dialogue or exposition from the Egyptian gods. The way they communicated in this in this issue was very annoying. broken. Yeah, it, annoying as well and repetitive. Uh, but it doesn't really 
it doesn't really explain their their motivation for having a spirit of justice. Yeah, I was so excited to read this book and then I read it and I was so angry about having read it because <laughs> yeah. it was just that bad. Well, and one of the things I will say, one good thing that came out of it is that um, I looked on Comixology because I'm like, OK, I would like to revisit those old Shadowhawk books. There's a book called Shadowhawk Chronicles that collects Shadowhawk 1, 2 and 3 because at the time they were like three miniseries um, plus a pinup gallery. And it's only nine dollars um, digitally. So that, I, I, I picked it up so I can revisit those uh, those Jim Valentino books and. Because I, I truly did enjoy, um, you know, those those first Shadowhawk arcs. I, I remember when he got replaced and I liked it a little less at that point. But um, it's a great character. I just I'm, I'm yeah. bummed that this book was not good. Yeah, I never read after he was replaced, but I read a bunch of the early books. And like I said, I still think back to how good that crossover with Savage Dragon was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had a gr- lot of great crossovers uh, as he was trying to figure out you know, how to stay alive, essentially, how to avoid dying from from AIDS. I remember once he was uh, Wildcats, you know, were, were looking to build him a robotic body to, like, transport his consciousness. A- anyway, he had a lot of great story arcs. And, yeah. and I may have to, although he sits on Comixology, so perhaps I'll see if there's a print copy of the Shadow <laughs> <laughs> available for purchase. Well, Is there not a Valgent app out. for you? Uh, it's image, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's oh, not an image. Yeah, there's don't... no image app. No. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, next week, you know, Wayne, did you ever finish that uh, Scott Snyder, Frank, Francesco Francavilla miniseries, Night of the Ghoul? You know, I don't. I, I, I kept reading it after we were talking about it, but I don't think I finished it. I think I. Yeah. It feels like I never read the last issue. Yeah, I did finish it. It's good. It's nice and creepy. If you're a fan of spooky stuff, that's coming out. Um, well, it's already available digitally, but they yeah. have a collection of it coming out next week. I loved what I read. So if I didn't read the last issue, is probably the horrible interface of Comixology's website. So I never saw it. Oh, fair. <laughs> so that comes out next week. If you never picked it up, you can pick it up in trade. Um, from DC Comics, we get new issues of Action Comics and Tales of the Human Target. Um, you know, Human Target took a break after the last issue that we talked about. So they've got a, a Tales of the Human Target, and then the series will be coming back. The Tom King and God, who's it's been so long. Tales? I don't remember um, who's doing the Tales of the Human Target. Well, yeah. it's it's still Tom King um, who, who's on who's writing, but uh, the art is Kevin McGuire. Michael Janine, hmm. Raphael Albuquerque, and Greg Smallwood. He's the oh, those also are those are all good artists. Yeah. yeah. So I think that also tells us why the book was delayed, and it wasn't Tom King. Yeah. Right. yeah well, those so. pages were beautiful. I, I mean, if the artist needed to take a break, you know, to get caught up, I I can understand that because those those books were just gorgeous. Yeah. yeah the like, art. I mean, hell, I was I, I was falling in love with ice. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> book is gorgeous. Yeah, so I think um, you know after that uh, we'll we'll get I think the seventh issue because I think it's took a break at issue six. Yeah, but looking forward to to yeah I'm gonna pick up that Tales of the Human Target because I am Same. enjoying that series. Yeah. Um, from Marvel Comics we get new issues of Amazing Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. If you missed out on the Ron Mars Ron Lim Silver Surfer Rebirth series, the trade comes out next week. 
Um, oh, that was fast. So good. Yeah. So yeah. So fast, and it's only nine dollars for all five issues. Kind of. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of punishes us for for yeah <laughs> for reading yeah. that because we paid four dollars times five. We paid twenty four. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. well worth if you haven't read it. Uh, uh, well worth picking up. That was an amazing series. Yeah. yeah I'm hoping um, for more. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And uh, there is an, a new damage control ooh book coming out. Um, is this going to be a humorous damage control or a serious like MCU damage control book? I feel like it's going to be a humorous one. It uh, is written by Adam Goldberg, the creator of TV's The Goldbergs. You'd think comedy then, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I would lean comedy in in that. Grim and gritty. <laughs> <laughs> I love the original Damage Control uh, back in the day. Speaking of nostalgia. Yeah, and Dwayne McDuffie was uh, you know, the, the writer on He was the creator of Damage Control. Mm. So Yeah, I have not been a fan of them taking the name to give to the MCU same organization. Yeah. Because yeah. Like, I have no problem with the MCU having an organization like that. But that's not the goal of damage control. Right. Yeah. I may check out the, uh, the I will check out the preview and see if it's worth picking up. Yeah. Because I, I, I did enjoy damage control back in the day. Yeah. Well, hey, we want to know what you thought about this week's books and what you're excited about in the coming week. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. If we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise and you can also hit us up on social media i o m geek on facebook instagram or twitter and if well, hey you know i was gonna say if you're an andrew loyalist you should always tune in because you never know when i might pop in yeah or well, ch- and check know, out well, his only fans page we will <laughs> always save andrew for the last 10 minutes of the show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bye guys bye bye podcast theme music graciously provided by mark andrew pope for more information visit markandrewpope.com funny books with aaron and polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com no spider-man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast